So we're going to celebrate communion today, and to prepare for that, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans 9, if you grab the Bible on your way in, it's page 943. Don't panic if you don't have one. We have the verses up on all the screens. You can follow along with what we're doing, okay? But the title is, What About the Jews, God's Chosen People, Romans 9, 1 through 7. And I want to start off by saying Happy New Year. This is our first uh, uh, service of 2024. We hope it's a happy new year, right? Uh, Testimonies got us, last week, testimony service, wow. It got us off to an amazing start. There wasn't a dry eye here. I know we couldn't do it live because of the personal testimonies. Live, couldn't do it live stream, but uh, just was powerful, powerful. But we hope it's a good year because 2023 was pretty rough for a lot of us, right? It was rough for a lot of us individually, for our church, for the USA, <laughs> uh, the world, crazy, crazy, crazy. Actually, the last couple years have been a roller coaster ride, haven't they? It's been a roller coaster. And, you know, Todd already mentioned the, the flood and how we couldn't meet here. That happened a year ago. We couldn't even be here. But the, the, just crazy what's been going on, which is why it's great that we're hitting communion. This is our first communion of the year. It's great we're hitting communion on the first Sunday of the new year. And also we're in Romans 9 where we find some very comforting truths here. We're going to get a lot of comfort and encouragement, especially today we're going to starting dipping our toe in the water. But as we go into God, his plan for our life the next couple of weeks, no matter what we are facing, we're going to see that God has a plan that he's going to fulfill in our life. No matter how bad we try to mess it up, somehow he works all things together for good. He, he has a purpose for our life. We're going to see how this happens here in, in Romans 9. Now, if you're just getting here and just joining us, go back and listen to Romans. Awesome, awesome. But Romans is all about God's righteousness. God's righteousness. And we started off looking at Romans 1 and the unrighteous world, how the world is unrighteous, the Gentiles, the Jews, everyone is unrighteous in God's sight. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And fall short of God. I wanted to be all to be able to see it. For all, for all have sinned and fall fallen short of God, the glory of God. What version do we have? Okay. Well, I'm gonna read this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a problem. You have so many versions running through my head here. So, uh, so we saw that we're unrighteous. The world's unrighteous. But then we saw that God provided His own righteousness. He provided righteousness. He made a way for us to get back to Him. We saw that as we moved on in Romans. Uh, we saw that we can have this righteousness through faith. In Jesus Christ, he sent his son to die for us, to to pay for our sin, to rise again from the dead, to prove he was the son of God and to give us a brand new life. The resurrection power that we all can have through Jesus Christ. And we saw he made a way through his son, Jesus, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what God's love has done for us, made that way for us. And then we look, we moved on from there to the righteous results of God making this, this, his, giving us his righteousness. We saw the righteous results. We saw that we are now free in Jesus Christ and we can live a brand new life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start in heaven someday. We're not just waiting to get to heaven someday. It, it starts now. 
Eternal life starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in, makes us a brand new creation in Christ, and we have a whole new life starting now. And it goes on through all of eternity. And that's what we have. And remember, we just finished up Romans chapter 8. Remember four or five sermons in Romans 8? Wow. Look what we have in Christ. Look how we can live in Christ. You talk about an encouraging. If you miss Romans chapter 8, go back and listen to all. Start with Romans 8, 1 and go all the way through. I think there's four or five sermons. Powerful, the encouragement that we have through the Holy Spirit and the new life that we can live in Christ. Wow. And now we come to God's righteousness defended. We're going to see that we shift in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to that God's righteousness is defended, specifically in regard to Israel. Because a lot of people ask me as we've gone through Romans here, what about Israel? God's chosen people. Why have they rejected, for the most part, rejected Jesus Christ and been rejected? We're going to see as we go here the next few weeks and probably months, uh, Romans 9 through 11, that there's a divine purpose and it's temporary. This is temporary. Will they be restored? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Romans 9 through 11 is going to show God's plan for the Jews, God's chosen people, and and, and our part to play in this. It's powerful. Romans 9, God's sovereign choice. We're going to see this next couple weeks, God's sovereign choice with Israel, but it also has huge implications for every one of us. Because although we're not Jews with the physical promises, we are, we are grafted into the Jewish tree with the spiritual promises. And we're going to see this has huge implications for us today and the next few weeks. Powerful, powerful. Let me pray again. Father, we thank you for every person who's here or who's watching this or who will end up seeing this. Lord, we pray for every one of us that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, if we never put our faith in Jesus, that you would move us to that place or or closer. The seeds would be sown. You would work in our heart. And if we have that, you would take us to a whole other level spiritually in our faith walk through these passages, especially today here in Romans 9. I would pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's start off. This is wild. Romans 9, verse 1, we'll start with. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm going to read this version. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could, not, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. So we see here that Paul is in agony. He's in agony for the people of Israel, the Jews, of which he is one. Paul is a Jew. The apostles were all Jews. Jesus was a Jew is a Jew. There's a false teaching promoted in a lot of apostate churches. Now, it's it's be funny if it wasn't so unbelievable. And the media and the social media have run off with it, especially Generation Z, which have they've been brainwashed. Sad, sad, sad brainwashed. The, the, the teaching is that Jesus was a Palestinian who was oppressed by the Jews. They're, they're, they're teaching this. It's a, you know, the, these news sources are teaching this stuff. I'm like, that is a lie. Jesus was a Jew through and through. 
He was the Jewish Messiah who was sent to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Jesus is, was, always will be a Jew, part of God's chosen people. So Paul is a Jew. He's talking here. Now Paul's a Jew, although he was sent as apostle to the Gentiles, remember the book of Acts? He's Jewish, but he was sent, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Remember, we looked at that in the book of Acts. But he, Paul the Jew is heartbroken because so many of his fellow Jews have rejected their Messiah. He was heartbroken because although the, the majority of the emerging church in Paul's time, in the New Testament time, in the book of Acts, remember we studied this in Acts, the majority of the emerging church of Jesus Christ was Jewish. Vast majority. But the majority of the Jews then, even though it was majority Jewish, the majority of the Jews then and now have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Exactly as was prophesied. This isn't a shock to God. It was prophesied. We're going to see that in the coming weeks as we look at Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're going to take it back to the Old Testament, Isaiah. And we're going to see that was prophesied. Although there is a shocking messianic movement right now there have been i was reading this rabbi quote he was upset so many jews were becoming christians messianic jews and he said there have been more messianic jews turning to jesus in the last hundred years than there were in the previous 19 centuries he was so upset because that is what is happening many many jewish people are turning to jesus as their messiah we're going to see why as we go, as we get closer to the time of Jesus Christ's return. It's going to pick up steam. All right. Crazy. Now, now, but let's look at the pain in Paul's heart for the loss, especially his Jewish uh, friends. Not, not exactly friends, former friends. Right. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. In my heart, uh, he, 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 do we have this same urgency? Do we have this same heartbreak for the loss all around us? Do we have that? Same thing that Paul had. Do, are our eyes open to the true condition of the people all around us? Our loved ones, people we work with, people we go to school with. Those without Christ, do we really understand where they are? They're, they're, those who don't have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul is pointing out here, they're dead spiritually. They're the walking dead. They are dying. Every heartbeat, every heartbeat takes them one step closer to eternity in hell. This is what the Bible teaches. Paul taught on heaven and hell many, many times. We're going to see that more as we go. And, and this is what he's talking about. Do we, do we see that? And, and if we've learned anything in these last couple of years, if we've learned anything, we are all one breath away from eternity, aren't we? If we've learned anything in this country, in this world, in our church, we are one breath. We are one breath. Our next breath could be our last. Are you ready for your last heartbeat, for your last breath? Are you ready? I'm going to tell you how to get ready in just a minute. And look what was Paul was willing to do for the people who were lost, the people, his fellow Jews. Look what he was willing to do in verse 3. He says this, For I wish 
I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to the sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. What, look what Paul was willing to do. What is he saying? He's saying, my pain is so great, I'm willing to trade places with them. Think about that. God, I'm willing to go to hell in their place. If you will just save them. That's what he's saying. I'm willing to go to hell in their place if you will just save them. And he did go through hell, didn't he? He went through hell to try to save them. Read the book of Acts. Go back and listen to the the Acts uh, uh, sermon series we did. He did go through hell to try to save them. He was desperate. Have you ever prayed that way? For those who are lost. Those with loved ones sure have, haven't you, that, that aren't saved? You sure have. Those with prodigals, we have a lot of families here with prodigals. You sure have prayed that way, haven't you? That, that you would do anything, anything to see them saved. Anything. We had Joy's... Memorial service yesterday. And I remember when she was getting sicker with her cancer. She was going through the, the, the pain and she knew God was going to bring her home. She was facing her death. And she, <clears throat> I remember her just saying to me, going through this, this hell on earth, this pain, everything I'm going through would be worth it. If my prodigal could come to Christ. In fact, I had prayed. Paul and Joy had both prayed. God, whatever it takes. To save my son. And she goes, she said, I hope this is what it will take. It will be worth it. I know our prodigal, Ryan, who can't come home. You know, there's prodigals who can't come home. He can't come home. He's gone. We hope he's in heaven. And I know lots of you have encouraged me and said, just believe he's in heaven. And we hope, hope, hope he's in heaven. But the only assurance we have about that is when someone's life, they persevere in their faith, right? If they don't persevere, there's not assurance. There's just some hope we cling to. And... uh. I hope he's in heaven. I hope Joy's giving him an earful right now. She has my permission to smack him along the side of the head in heaven there. But also give him an earful about Laurel and his daughter and everything. But many times I have prayed, God, wherever he is, I would trade places with him like that. If he's in heaven, trade, and we're both there. But if he's not, I, I wouldn't even hesitate. To trade places. If only I could. 
And that's what Paul is saying. That's what exactly what Paul is saying for the people of Israel. And how we should have that same attitude in verse 4 to the people of Israel. For the people of Israel, he says, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. They were God's chosen people. Look what they were given. Adoption, glory, covenants, the law, the temple, the promises. They were given all of these things. All, they were given all these things for a purpose, to point the way to the one true God. They were given these things, blessed these way, to point the world to the one true God. That was their job, to get people's eyes off of the idols and point them to that there is a one true God, Jehovah God. A holy God. In, in uh, uh, Exodus 19.5, it says their mission. God gives them their mission. He says this. Now, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to Israel. That was their job, to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, to lead the whole world back to the one true God. That was their mission, the Old Testament mission given to the Jewish people. And not only that, they were given the ultimate honor in in Romans 9, 5, the ultimate honor when he says, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Wow. The human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. God chose them to bring his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to earth to save us all. He picked them to do that. The Messiah who is God in the flesh, God overall, God in the flesh. At Christmas, we talked about Emmanuel, God with us. How many times do we sing about that? God with us. He was sent to save us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's why God sent his son to save us, to give us life. He sacrificed him on a cross to pay for our sin, to give us life. Okay, so far so good. But why have so many Jews rejected their Messiah. Here we go. Because they are not true spiritual Jews. Not true spiritual Jews. Romans 9, verse 6. Look at, what, look at what it says. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. Wait a minute. Just because they're physical children doesn't mean they're his spiritual children. John the Baptist said the very same thing. John the Baptist, who was Jewish, speaking to the false Jews, he says in Matthew 3, verse 9, he says, And do not think to yourselves you can say, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children to Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the tree, trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist said the same thing. Jesus also said the same thing in John chapter 8 to the Jews who were beating him up, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said the same thing (coughs) to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, this is John 8, 31, you are really my disciples. You catch that? How do we know who a real disciple of Jesus Christ is? Holding to the teaching, holding to the entire word of God. There's not gonna, there's no such thing as woke Christians. There's no such thing as, you know, Swiss cheese Bibles. We have to believe everything and follow everything that God says. Then he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we, that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it ever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your father, You are doing the work of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Then Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. That is why my language, that is why my language, I'm sorry. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his negative language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Wow. Being a descendant of Abraham does not make anyone a true Jew. We must have Abraham's faith. You must have Abraham's faith. They thought they were children of Abraham. They thought they were God's children, but they were really children of the devil. What shows whose father? What shows whose father they really were? What did Jesus say? This shows if you're really my God's children or the devil's children. What showed it? The acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The acceptance or rejection of Jesus as the Son of God is what shows if we belong to the devil or if we belong to God our Father. That's what shows it. Listen, we were, we're not just picking on the Jews. We were all children of the devil. 
Every one of us were children of the devil. We all followed him. Every one of us. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins when you followed, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Every one of us was dead in our transgressions and sins. We were the walking dead. Every one of us, before we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were dead spiritually. If you're here without Jesus, you're dead spiritually. I was, you are, we all were. But but how were we set free? How can you be set free? Ephesians 2 verse 3, going on a little further, it says this is how we can be set free through Jesus Christ. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because... of His great love for us, God... who is... Rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It's unbelievable. Even when we're dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We were all children of the devil, objects of wrath. And God set us free through Jesus Christ. And how do we receive that? By by putting our faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then, for it is by grace, grace means gift, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you catch that? We're saved by putting our faith, our trust, our hope in God's grace, his gift of his son. Not by works. Are works important? Sure. Look what it says. After we're saved, for we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. After we put our faith in Jesus, after we've trusted in Jesus, then God gives us works to do. But those works don't do anything to make us right with God. It's only what Jesus did. We can only put our faith in the gift that he has given us. That's the key. Faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Back to Romans 9. How do we know who the true Jews are? Romans 9. Jump all the way to verse 30. We're going to hit up the rest in between next week. In, in verse 30. What then, this is Paul talking. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by 
works. They missed it. They were trying to be saved by their works, by following the law, by being good enough. And they missed it. They had to put their faith. They rejected Jesus who came to save them by faith. That, that is the key to know who the true Jews are. Are they, are they trusting in works or faith? And specifically faith in Jesus Christ. The same goes for Christians. Same goes for Christians. The same goes for the church today. The majority of people going to church in America who think they're Christians, who say they're Christians, they are not Christians. How do we know that? Because they've done study after study and only 5% of Americans have a biblical world view. A biblical worldview means you believe Jesus died for your sins and, and you know, Jesus was divine and uh, the only way to be saved is through Jesus and, and uh, you, the only way to go from hell to heaven is through Jesus. And the basics of Christianity, they've done study after study, 5% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Now, if 60 or 70% think they're Christian and 5% actually believe the Bible, what does it tell us? It's not real. It's not real. So many think they're Christians just because they jump through religious hoops. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, just like the Jews, just like the Jews we're reading about, so many Christians say miss the whole point. They think that being born again, being born, I'm sorry, being born to Christian parents makes them Christian, but it doesn't. Being born to Christian parents doesn't make us Christian. We must be born again. We must be born again. Most people I meet, they say they're Christians, and I, and I ask them, and I know Chuck does the same thing in his ministry, Chuck Harrison out on the street. I ask people all the time, you're Christian. Let me just ask this, because I'm excited you're a Christian, but let me just clarify something. If you were to die and stand before God today, and he were to say, you know, uh, Todd, why should, I, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You know what I hear most of the time? You can guess what I hear most of the time. Well, you know, I've, uh, I've been good. I try to be good, you know. I, I go to church. I never killed anybody, you know. You know, you, you get that. It just works. What they've done and what they're trying to do. And, and, and they're missing the whole point because they never put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're depending on works, just like these Jews here in Romans 9. They're depending on their works. And, and so many are missing the whole point. We're going to remedy that in just a minute. Hang on, hang on. The majority of the Jews missed the Messiah because they were depending. They missed the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because they were depending on works over faith. But that is going to change, as we're going to see in a few weeks, as we go the next few weeks here, you're going to be shocked. It's going to change. Prophetically, there's a promise what's going to happen with the Jewish people. And it is already happening in Israel right now. It is already happening. God is preparing. God is preparing people for Jesus Christ. Crazy, crazy. In fact, let me just read you this. This is prophecy, the prophecy news uh, newsletter that I send out a lot of times. Prophetic foreshocks. Hamas attacks during Jewish faith revival in the Messiah. You guys following these stories? Wild. There was a Jewish politician. I'm just going to read you what she was saying. She was addressing Jewish politician group. I can't even remember how to say it. But uh, she's, she was talking about, uh, uh, talking about the messianic mes- manifestations among the IDF in Gaza, the soldiers in Gaza. There's been messianic uh, 
manifestations. Hundreds of soldiers. She's talking, giving a speech of all these politicians. Hundreds of soldiers singing, I believe, before going into combat in Gaza. The song's words are, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though that, though he tarry, I will wait daily for his coming. This is what the soldiers are saying. Jewish. Yesterday, she said, I, I saw hundreds of soldiers, uh, a, a video, hundreds of soldiers uh, in one hall singing that they believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. It's a little strange because in every newspaper you open, every television show you watch in Israel, every article define this belief in the Messiah, this burning and eternal belief in the, of the nation of Israel, the messianic belief. They all define it, the media, their media defines it as the greatest existential danger to our country right now. Boy, does that sound familiar? She said, for the... Uh, the, for our nation, the one thing that has kept us is our belief that the Messiah would one day come. She said, I need to make a, this is a politician, I need to make a confession. I used to have many different messiahs. But now I realize that these messiahs were false messiahs. Not only were they false, but they were dangerous. For one moment, I want to defend the messiah of the Jewish nation. The concept of the Messiah. I wonder what went wrong with us as a nation that this ascendant idea, this progression toward the eternal that brings the Jewish Messiah, why is it so ridiculous and ridiculed as being dangerous? She then quoted the book of Isaiah, which we're going to be preaching from soon, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not take up sword against nation. They shall never again know war. Isaiah 2.4. My Messiah commands me to dream of peace, she continued. My Messiah commands me to wish for brotherhood between nations. My Messiah is eternal. This woman was used to be an atheist, and she says, I want to use this opportunity to stand and believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even if he delays, I will wait for him every day to arrive, and he will come quickly. Amen. Wow. Wow. We are seeing, we are seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. I've talked about that, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. All the talk about rebuilding a temple. He's, it's going to be rebuilt. Jesus is coming back to that temple. He's going to cleanse it. it it's just crazy. We are, seeing, we are seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. God is preparing a remnant from his chosen people who will survive the tribulation, who will survive Armageddon. Zechariah 12 talks about this very thing. In Zechariah 12, it says... A prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the human spirit within a person declares, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the nations, all the surrounding peoples reeling. 
Judah will be be besieged as well as Jerusalem. Have trouble under you have trouble picturing this anymore? On that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. They're not going to be atheists anymore running that country, are they? Verse 6, on that day I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot and a wood pile, like a flaming torch among the sheaves. They will consume all the surrounding people right and left, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first, so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Unbelievable. God is going to... He has a remnant that's going to survive the tribulation, that's going to survive the Antichrist, going to survive the uh, Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon. And he will also make, make sure that they put their faith in the Messiah when he returns. The very next verse, they're going to, the remnant that's left will turn completely to the Messiah. Verse 10 says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Wow. It's all being set up. The remnant will all turn to the Messiah. And, it, and it's, already, it's already being prepared now. I have a very good Jewish friend, one of my best friends. And I was talking about all these prophecies and what's happening in Israel now. And, and he was concerned. And I said, well, it's all in the Bible. And I was showing him the prophecies in Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah. And, and I, I was sharing them, connecting the dots. And I said how we're looking for the Messiah to return again. But, but you as Jews are looking to come for the first time. And I'm reading these verses and showing them these things. And, and I was doing that. And I'll never, I just couldn't believe it. He says, Maybe it's the same person. And I said, yes! God is preparing. God is preparing. He's working in, in, in the hearts and the minds and the lives. We have been given a job to do as Christians. We are, we are also God's chosen people. We have been given a job to witness to our Jewish friends, our Jewish brothers and sisters, to bring them to Jesus Christ and and to get them ready for the Messiah when he returns. 
to prepare that remnant for his return, as we're going to see in Romans 10 and 11. What, what God's going to do, we're going to see this as we keep going. But we as Christians are also chosen by God. We don't have the same physical promises. We don't, Jerusalem and Israel, we don't have the same land promises as the nation of Israel. But we share in the same spiritual promises through Abraham's faith we have that and we have been given the same job to do and that's to lead all people back to god the entire earth back to god just like the jews in the old testament christians in the new testament all of us together we are called to lead them back to the one true god in fact first peter 2 9 echoes this very thing but you are a chosen people a whole royal priesthood does this sound familiar a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have been given that job to do. Communion is a reminder of that, that Jesus was sacrificed. We're going to celebrate communion now. Jesus was sacrificed for us, and we have a job to do that very thing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, talking about communion, listen to how it ends. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Here we go. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing here. We're remembering and we're looking forward. We're remembering and we're witnessing to what, to what, what, what Jesus, that he's coming again. And it's also a reminder to us to purify ourselves. It goes on to say that in Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, purifying ourselves. But it's a, that's what also, as Christians, to purify ourselves. That's why we're saved, so we can live holy lives. 1 Peter, backing up a couple of verses, 1 Peter 2, 5 says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That is what communion is about to refocus. So what we're going to do is, is have communion in a few moments. Todd's going to lead us through how we take it. We just, when you're ready, you just come up and, and get the bread and get the cup. If you need something to get that for you, they can bring it back to you. Um, and we, we take it. And then when you're ready, you, 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 you take it. Uh, as Todd is going to lead us into prayer time, you're remembering Jesus died for us. He resurrected for us. He gave his body and blood for us. We're remembering that and, and looking forward to his coming again. There's only two reasons why you shouldn't take it. Number one, if you're not a Christian yet, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, wait. It's okay. It's a light, a spiritual journey. Wait till the next time. But you can do it today. I hope you do. You can do that today. The second reason is if there's something in our life that is sin that we're hanging on to that we won't surrender, we want to keep it. That's enough. The Bible says don't take communion in an unworthy way. But I hope you let go of it. You don't have to be perfect to take communion. You just have to be willing to surrender anything to God. Say, God, help me. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Help me to fight this battle I've been fighting. That we have to be willing to do that. Because everyone here can put can to take communion. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. I'm going to ask the question. If you were to stand before God, 
You were to die and stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Because you will have to answer that question. Every one of us will. What would you say? What are you thinking? There's one answer that will open the door of heaven. It's I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm trusting him and him alone. Faith alone and Christ alone. And you can do that right now. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. How would you answer Jesus? Why should he let us into heaven? How do we know we're right with God? There's only one way, putting your faith in Jesus. And if you've never done that, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. You can do it now. It doesn't take a special ritual. You don't need a religious person. It's between you and God. The prayer of faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can do that right now. From your heart to God's heart. The simple but powerful prayer of faith. I know we're saved by our heart, what believing in our heart, but I always encourage people to pray a prayer, to put an exclamation point on it, to make sure. The simple prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin, of my old life, of following the world and following the devil. I repent of everything I've done in my life that goes against your word, goes against your will for me. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me because I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus. I believe he died on that cross to pay for my sin. He took my punishment. He was my substitute. I believe he rose from the dead to give me a new life. And I want that life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. Make me new. If you have prayed that prayer, something amazing has happened. You're in for the shock here, like the Holy Spirit is in you and has made you into a new creation in Christ. Your life will never be the same. And I want to encourage you to take communion today, but also to commune with God every day. Connect with Him every day. 
and let someone know you've taken that step. Maybe you have a friend or family member here. Maybe you're out there and somewhere and email me, nhcc at comcast.net. Tell somebody so we can be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we living that holy life? Is our life announcing, pointing people to, to, to Jesus Christ's second coming? Father, I pray that as we commune with you, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And prepare us for an amazing, powerful 2024. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today. Have a great day ahead and have a great week as well.